Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Because uh, we are titling this new sermon series, The Good Fight. And uh, man, as we look in this book of 1 Timothy, that is the encouragement of Paul to this young pastor. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to 1 Timothy there in your Bibles. If you don't have one, you can use your phone or a pew Bible in front of you. Um, and uh, and I want to, I as you turn there, uh, just, just have, you, have you frame this in your mind. I want you to think about what if you'd never read the Bible before? Think about, think about reading the Bible right now from the perspective of somebody that has no idea what this is, has absolutely idea, like no idea, like what in the world are we about to read? What are we reading today? And um, I, I want to just tell you right off the bat that what we are going to read today is a letter. It's a letter. And uh, all of us were, were familiar with letters. Maybe it was that, uh, that pen pal that you tried to be pen pals with and it maybe lasted for a week and you're like, I give up, I, I'd rather text. Um, maybe, it, uh, maybe it was uh, just that you just keep on getting, getting bills in the mail and junk mail. That's what we get a lot of today. Um, maybe it's your email or your Facebook messenger. We're all pretty familiar with receiving messages in the form of letters. And this is what we are going to read today in God's Word, written down originally as a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. And so as we uh, get to the text, let's, uh, let's uh, first of all pray and let's read then verse 1 and ask God to speak to us through this letter that I think was intended not only for the church there, but also for us today to, to learn and apply into Valley Church and our community. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this letter. Thank you, God, that um, you brought us your word, inspired, spoken through your apostle Paul. And Lord, we, uh, we pray that as we read it, we'd make correct application. Lord, we would uh, have our hearts just uh, changed and that, God, we'd be encouraged and empowered to fight the good fight of faith. God, um, give us that grace today as we go to it and as we take this message into our valley then. God, um, watch over us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so verse 1, let's, uh, let's open up this book and uh, read verse 1 together. It says there, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and Christ Jesus our hope. Wouldn't you love it if every piece of mail that you opened um, began with something like that? Wouldn't that be encouraging? I, I believe so. Here, here Paul, he introduces himself to his, uh, his reader, Timothy. And um, if you don't know anything about Paul, I want to just give you the cliff notes on his life. He says, his name is Paul and he is an apostle. Now, his, his name was not always Paul. Actually, God changed his name um, from the name Saul. 
And uh, Saul was a Jewish Pharisee, meaning that he, he knew the Old Testament law and was very legalistic about it, so much so that he thought that when he saw people following Jesus, that Jesus was basically a cult leader. And, uh, and so he wanted to kill people that were trying to sway people away from following the law and, and were following Jesus. And he actually went from town to town, arresting Christian leaders, persecuting them, putting them in prison. And, uh, and, and God met Paul on the road. He was on his way uh, to Damascus, and uh, there a bright light shone down from heaven, and a voice from heaven called out to Saul, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To which Saul was like, who are you? And he, in this voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And that was, that was his call, where he, he put the two and two together, saying, this Jesus is actually the son of God. This, this is true. And I, I've been fighting against, against my God. I've been against him by persecuting Christians. And so Saul went from be, basically being the biggest adversary against Christians to then being the biggest advocate for the gospel. And uh, he was, he was uh, uh, then called to go into the ministry. Uh, and God said, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you as a vessel to carry my name. And uh, that, is, that is the life of Paul then. Paul went on missionary journey after missionary journey, preaching the gospel, planting churches. And uh, here is uh, in this letter, part of, part of what we see is the fruit of his ministry, okay? As we read on though to verse 2, um, we see that uh, he's speaking to this, this uh, young pastor named Timothy, okay? And uh, what we know about Timothy is that Paul met Timothy on one of his missionary journeys. And uh, I'll flip over to it, and I'll have it on the screen, but feel free to keep your finger here in First Timothy. We're going to jump right back to it. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, we see Paul met Timothy. And there in chapter 16, verse 1, it said that as, as Paul was traveling, Paul also came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. This is the one he's writing to. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was also well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And what we know from that point on is that uh, because Paul had, uh, had some discernment about Timothy, seeing that uh, his, his mother and his grandmother had raised him in the faith, uh, he saw a good spirit was, was in him. He had a passion and a devotion for the Lord. He actually took Timothy under his wing and along with him on these missionary journeys. And basically, his, his pathway was that, that he discipled Timothy as a follower of Jesus. And that's why he writes in verse 2, if you, if you jump back, back to where, where we were at in verse 2, he says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You notice who he calls Timothy? He calls him my true child in the faith. That uh, just like if, if you would have 
you know, raised up your own children to know and follow Jesus, or even uh, raised up someone that, that is brand new or new to, new to this whole Jesus thing in the, the gospel, that, that you'd, you'd help them follow Jesus. And he saw Timothy like his, his spiritual child, that he was raising him, maturing him, and then he had sent him out here to Ephesus to do his own pastoral ministry. And so he calls him my true child in the faith. And what happened from there as, as they were traveling was they, they came to the city of Ephesus. And I think this was actually one of, one of their return visits. And while they were there, Paul became aware of some false teaching that was going, going on in the church. And uh, what we see is that uh, as, as he was, um, was there in Ephesus, he became aware that uh, these leaders needed to be confronted because of their false teaching. And that there needed to be a solid pastor and a, and a leader put there in order to confront what was going wrong in the church and to correct it and to bring people into back, back into alignment with the true gospel. And so, after Timothy was sent to Ephesus and arrived there, that's when we get this letter. This letter was written specifically to Timothy teaching him how, to, how, how, do you, how do you go about doing what I have asked you to do? How do you go back about correcting false teaching? How do you go about confronting these, these false lies that, that, are, that are being spread around the church? And so he sends, sends this letter to Timothy about how to fulfill his mission. And not only was this a personal letter to Timothy, I, I also believe that this would have been read by some of the Ephesian elders and maybe even read in the churches in, in the city of, of Ephesus about how they would go about following Jesus and confront the things that were happening there. And so I, I think that that's important for us because, like I said, we want to bring application to our own church from this letter. But I just want to warn us right away that their context and their culture was completely different than our own. Um, the, the, the teaching that was going on that was false was different than the teaching that's false in our own day. And um, it, it just, you, you got to take all these cultural things, the context, into our consideration before we make a direct application into, okay, here's, here's what he's telling us to do. Here's how we should go, go about things at Valley Church. It's important to understand why did he, why did he say some of the things that he did? And, and are they, do we have a direct application then that we do the exact same things here? And so we're, gonna, we're going to discover some of that by looking first at the place of Ephesus, um, looking at the culture of that day and what was going on here where Paul was writing to. All right? So um, as we read on to verse 3, we see the place is Ephesus. Um, and uh, he says in verse 3, he said, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. All right, I've got a couple um, maps for you to see where Ephesus is located. Um, and I encourage you to, um, even if you uh, take out your Bibles in the back of your Bible, you may have a Bible map and you'll, you'll see Paul's missionary journeys. But, but there it is. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, there's Ephesus. It's the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire located on the western coast of what is now today modern-day Turkey. Okay, so you kind of see where we're located here. That's, that's where he's writing specifically to. 
And what we know about the culture of Ephesus is that this was a very influential city. It's actually the gateway, a portal through which Oriental culture, religion, and tradition passed further west. It was also known for its deities, which in contrast to other parts of the ancient world, were primarily female. Now, that's an important thing to note because uh, we want to look specifically then at what they believed. Within Ephesus, there stood a temple. And I have a, have a picture of this. Now, this is just one artist's rendition of what this temple could have looked like. But all in all, this temple that they built to their god, they called, called her the mother god or Athena, uh, sorry, uh, Artemis or Diana of the Ephesians. Um, she was the most worshipped of all of their gods. And, and the temple that they built was actually one of the seven wonders of the world. You see a picture of this God, and, and if you go over there, there is a lot of historical, um, archaeological evidence and, and these, these statues that um, they've uncovered and, and preserved over the years that show this God, goddess, who they, they worshipped, named Artemis or, or Diana of the Ephesians. Now, within the temple stood the goddess herself, as a symbol of feminine supremacy in religion. And the citizens of Ephesus derived feelings of security, and, uh, and, and they, they, they drew this directly from their worship of this goddess. Now, in order to support their worship of the goddess, they developed also an elaborate system of magic around her to demonstrate her power. And so, so we see that this, this female goddess was, was widely worshipped there in Ephesus. And so it makes sense that what Paul would have been writing to Timothy would have had a lot to do with their current worship in that day. And um, we'll, we'll talk about it over the next few weeks about, about that false teaching. But specifically what was happening in Ephesus was that they had most harmfully taken the Hebrew scriptures and twisted it to suit their own worship, embellishing it and adopting and, and distorting it for their own purposes. And so that, that's what drew Paul's attention as, as he targeted Ephesus as a place where false teaching was coming into the church. If you want to keep your finger here and turn over to Acts chapter 20, we see that um, Paul first addressed this to the Ephesian elders, elders here in Acts chapter 20. When he said to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. And this is, this is in 20 verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. That was Paul writing to these Ephesian elders. 
And early on, he, he knew that, that there were people that were going to try and come in, twist the teaching of, of the Word of God, twist the teaching that Paul was giving, and, uh, and, and distort it in a way that would, would lead many people astray. And he compared it to like a wolf coming into a sheep pen. And he said, man, you got to be on guard. You as elders need to be the ones that are standing as safeguards in the teaching of the church. That's your responsibility. And so if, if we are to understand the purpose of Paul's writing, these, these details are really important for us as we open up this book, because we're going to see the rest of what he writes through this lens of, man, he was trying to not just teach us how to structure a church, but he was trying to teach us, okay, here's, here's the correct doctrine, here's, here's some of the false things are being taught, and here's what is true. Okay, and so, so that's, that's what he's doing, and we're going to move forward more with teaching about the culture and the context um, as, as we move forward, but uh, let's get even more specific, not just talking about the people, Paul and Timothy, the place, Ephesus, but let's also then talk about, third, the problem that was happening. What was specifically the false teaching that was being propagated here in the city of Ephesus. Turn back to 1 Timothy. If you, if you uh, stayed there, that's awesome. We'll be getting through the whole chapter today. But verse 3, we'll just review what we, what we already, already read. He said, I urged you, Timothy, when I was going to Macedonia to remain at Ephesus, and this is the reason, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Verse 4, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So Paul is leaving Timothy. He's leaving him with an important job to do. And he's saying, man, make sure that correct doctrine is being taught in Ephesus. And we may wonder, okay, let's answer this first question. What is, what is doctrine? I'll tell you what, doctrine is important to God, and it should be, it should be important to His people. It should be important to all of us. Doctrine is basically what you believe. Doctrine is what you believe. And Paul told Timothy later on in this letter, he said, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Now, we live in a day and this is where we're similar to them. We live in a day where Pilate's question, what is truth, is usually answered by our culture, whatever you want it to be. Now, what kind of doctrine is that? That's not the teaching of Scripture, because what God says is, my word is truth. That's actually what Jesus, he said, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So, we have an objective standard of truth today. And that's the Word of God. He also said, um, and, and this, is, this is such a gospel-centered verse, it's uh, in, in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's very exclusive, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. And so, when we think about the, the teaching of Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we are not the people that would say, oh, let's, let's all just, 
coexist, okay, that, that message is, you know, it sounds nice, but, and, and, you know, we don't want to be violent toward any other religions. That's not what we're talking about. But man, we're saying there is an exclusive one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers. No other religion, no other way offers that. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, can I also tell you this? All truth is God's truth. And so when our culture teaches something that is not the truth, and, and then somehow they discover the truth, or something that, that is more biblical and aligned, it's like they're not discovering something new. They're just discovering, yeah, this is God's truth. And so we need to recognize that as what it is. Even, even um, Christians, they think about science and like, I can't, I can't be a scientist because that kind of goes against the teaching of the Bible. Can I tell you, where science disagrees with the word of God is, is where, where they're believing lies. Okay, we think about creation and evolution. What is evolution? It's a theory. Okay, well, creation, the seven-day creation, God created the world in, in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. That is truth. That is the word of God. And, and man, he, he created everything. All things come from him. That's the teaching of scripture. You are not an animal. You're not, okay? You're not descended from an animal. If that's who you are, man, you, how, how could we expect anything else but that you live like an animal? No, you're created in the image of God, male and female. God created you. These are truths from the scripture that we see. And man, we could go on and on and on. But that's... That's what, that's what, man, Paul was teaching Timothy, man, stand on the truth of Scripture. We've got no other foundation than Jesus and his word. So truth is important to God. And I'll tell you, what Paul is saying is it should be important to us as well. I will, I will even say if, if you're interested in partnering with Valley Church, well, what we ask you to do is we have what we call an affirmation or a statement of faith a document that basically we write down and say, here's, here's what we, where we believe the Bible speaks to different issues um, regarding salvation or, or theology or even our culture. And what we do is we come together and we say, part of becoming a member is, hey, we're going to be of one mind in this. We're going to agree on this. And man, when it comes to that, if you're going to become a member, I encourage you, don't just like skim through it like you do terms and conditions on your computer and just check mark and say you read it, okay? Study it. Ask questions about it, okay? Because these things matter. And man, when, when questions come up about doctrine, we can say, well, okay, let's, let's come back. Let's study that. Where have we landed? Where do we agree on as a church? We don't have to agree on everything, but there's some central things relating to the gospel and the word of God where we say the Bible is clear. The Bible is very clear and we can stand on it and know it's truth. Okay, so don't, don't be afraid of that. Um, that is why, when it comes to that second part of, of verse 3, why Paul says, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Because man, when you have people coming into, into the church and trying to propagate things that conflict with, with Scripture— there's things that happen in the church today that are like that, um, you are going to cause confusion, and you're going to undermine the authority of the Word of God. And so he, were, he uses this word charge, okay? And this has, if you've been in the military, this is a military word, okay? It's a command from a superior to an inferior. 
saying, you listen, okay? If you're in the military, you listen to your commanding officer. And that's what Paul was basically telling Timothy, is uh, God has placed you here in charge to guard and protect the, the truth of the Word of God. And so I want you to charge those people, command them, stop teaching these different doctrines. And Paul's, Paul's concern was, was not really that Timothy would teach other doctrines, but that he would allow other people within the church to, or to come into the church and teach different doctrines. I'll even, I'll even tell you this, that this week we had someone approach us about doing something within our church building that I, after studying what they believe and what they teach, it would have created a lot of confusion within our, uh, within our church body, okay? And so as a pastor and with our elders, we, you know, we agree and we say, no, we are not going to let confusion enter into our, our body. No, we're not going to allow that. It's some outside organization to come in and do that. No, we're, we are guided by God's word. Our elders have been placed here to safeguard that we're teaching the truth, okay? And so um, just, just like Timothy was commanded, you and I, we've been commanded, stand firm, don't back down, confront false teaching. And that comes to us in our church and when it comes in our culture today, okay? So that, that's where we find direct application. If you hear false teaching, confront it, confront it, okay? Now, specifically the false teaching, and this, this is where things get interesting. The false teaching that was happening there in the church of Ephesus was primarily the teaching of what is known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism actually exists still today. If you want to basically frame within your mind, what is Gnosticism? Basically, take the Bible, especially the first, first three verses of, of Gen, three chapters of Genesis, and just turn everything upside down. That is Gnosticism. Okay? Gnosticism is basically an upside down um, uh, interpretation of the Bible. The, the Greek word for Gnosticism comes from the word gnosis, which means knowledge. What they claimed was that they had a special way to interpret the Bible. They could obtain a secret knowledge that the average person just, just didn't have. And so according to Gnostic thought, what they did is they, they took the Genesis account and they reframed it. They, they looked at, looked at uh, how God said that he created, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And they looked at Yahweh, our, the God that we worship, and said, oh, actually, he, he was actually deceived himself. He thought that he was the all-supreme, all-powerful, only God when there were gods above him. Okay, that's what they believed. They thought there was other gods above him and that he was just like a son, you know, this little god that was doing his little thing and he thought that he lived in his own little world, but he didn't, okay? And so they said God created the world, okay? He created all matter, he created Adam and Eve, and then he deceived Adam and Eve saying, man, you can only eat, you can eat from everything, but you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? And so, hey, we know that in the Genesis account, that's what God did, didn't he? But what they teach is that when Satan came into, into the world, and we know that that's what happens in Genesis, they believe that Satan was doing Adam and Eve a service by enlightening them to their deception. 
that God was trying to deceive them. And when Eve took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she actually became like a god and uh, became the one that brought enlightenment to the whole world, okay? And so, so everything, you see how that's so upside down. You see how that's so backwards from what we believe and what, what the clear teaching of Scripture is, okay? But in, in essence, what Gnosticism taught was that all matter, everything, everything created, you and I, anyone that's born on this world, any animals, anything that, that is living on this, this world is evil. All matter is evil. That's what Gnosticism believed. And uh, even went so far as to say uh, specifically to women that uh, if you get pregnant and if you have a baby, you are bringing evil into the world. Okay, think about how harmful that would be. Okay, at the same time, though, they actually elevated, you see, they elevated women um, in, in, their, in their teaching, basically to a godlike status, okay? And so, so that's the kind of stuff that was being taught by Gnosticism, and we'll see in chapter 2 how that really influenced some of what Paul taught about. Dr. Fee, he, he wrote in his commentary, it seems certain that false teachers had considerable influence among some women, especially some younger widows who had opened up their homes to these teachings and may have become admirers and followers of Satan. That's the end of Gnosticism, basically. Satan is good. God is evil. He's deceiving. He's, he's, he's deceived. These groups of women, he said, carried these destructive doctrines and their practices into the very homes in which the house churches met. I would also say that there were men as well that carried these destructive doctrines, which is most likely the reason for Paul's prohibition against women teaching. And we'll see in chapter 2, verse 11, where he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, a lot of people, when, when we read the scripture, we're like, how in the world do I understand these? And, and a lot of churches and Christian traditions have, have operated under the interpretation that, okay, Paul said women are to remain silent in the church. They're not to teach. Well, you see how from the context, when we read it, we see there was a reason why Paul would have said, yeah, I'm not going to let women teach. Spread false doctrine. Because even one of the teachings of Gnosticism was that man came from woman. That actually Eve uh, deceived Adam and uh, basically uh, created Adam. And we'll see that, that in a couple weeks. But these kind of false teachings were being taught, and again, this upside downing of the Bible, and he's like, man, I'm not going to allow, first of all, women to spread this false doctrine, but then second, I'm not going to let them um, have authority over a man, which means to make them think that, I came, that women, you came before them, okay? We're equal in Christ. We're not trying to dominate each other, but women back there, they were trying to do that. They're trying to twist the created order, and so we'll get into that deeper in a couple weeks when we get to that passage. But I want you just to notice that uh, there's a reason why Paul says what he does. And for us, in a place where maybe those, that kind of teaching is not happening, 
we don't find a direct application to say that women cannot speak within church or have positions of leadership. Um, that's where we, we see, okay, you know what, there's a cultural context to that. Okay, so that, uh, if you want to do some study on it, um, uh, you can do that and be prepared in a couple weeks when we talk about it in chapter 2. But man, there is a reason why Paul said what he did, if we frame it through the context of he's combating against false teaching. So, we talked about the people, Paul, Timothy, Ephesus is the place. We've talked about the problem, false teaching, but then let's, let's, uh, let's also go into talking then um, as we get through the rest of the chapter on the purpose for Paul's writing. And we see that uh, his purpose was love. His purpose was love. He really cared deeply for Timothy and for these people. And uh, so let's, let's keep on reading in verse 5. That's where we'll pick things up. He says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Again, he's basically teaching, man, if spending time reading God's word and knowing the gospel and hearing about Jesus Christ does not produce love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith, something is wrong. And if somebody could say that, it was Paul, because Paul lived that, okay? And we're going to hear his testimony in a little bit. But um, Paul basically was an expert in the law, and now he's going to go and talk about the law and how it, how it impacts us. Verse 8, he, he goes on to say, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law was not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. So go back to who, who, who Paul was as Saul. Man, he, he, was, he was a teacher of the law. Man, he, he knew the law better than most people. But what he's showing us here in, in these verses is, man, the, the law is not our salvation, the law leads us, points us to see our need for Jesus Christ, who is our salvation. You see, there, there's this whole list of sins that he gives, and the purpose of, of this list was just to, just to point out, you and I, and, and these people in Ephesus, and, and you, Timothy, man, we all need Jesus. And the, the, the list of, of things that separate us from God, he, he listed as the things of unholy, that were unholy and profane those who have struck their father and their mother, murderers, sexually immoral, points out specifically homosexuality there, but I would also probably include just every other kind of um, sexual sin that is against God's design. It separates us from God. It's a sin. Enslavers, people that put people into slavery, and slavery is even a real thing today. It's a huge thing. Liars, perjurers, that means lying under oath, okay? 
And in case, if you're reading this list and you're like, okay, I'm good. You know, I've never slapped my mom or dad or I've never murdered somebody and I'm staying sexually pure. Um, in case you didn't identify yourself, I think he gives this last line. He says, in everything else that is contrary to sound doctrine. If you've gone in any way against the clear teaching of God's, God's best for you in Scripture, you've sinned. You've fallen short of the mark. And uh, that's meant to show you your need for Jesus. The law exposed them as it exposes us. That's what it does. The law doesn't save us. But you know what does? That last line, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Can I just tell you what the gospel is just for a second? If you don't know, the gospel is this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. doesn't matter if you found yourself on that list, if you found yourself even currently struggling with, um, you know, with, with lying or, or uh, sexual immorality or, or thoughts of murder or violence. You know, it doesn't matter what your past is. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. Jesus took upon himself the just penalty that you deserve for your sin. He, he came to this earth, he lived a perfect life, and he died in your place, taking the justice of God on your behalf. That's why he died. Paul knew that this message had been entrusted to him, that he knew that he needed to call people to faith in Jesus Christ. That's why he was a preacher of the gospel. He realized that he had been saved first. And what we, we actually see is that, that this testimony that he gives, he, he personalizes it for himself. He gives a list of his own sins next. And, and what, what, he, what he proclaims and what he says is, man, the gospel is not just a list of sins. The gospel is Jesus Christ. And so let's, let's read his own testimony in verse 12. He says, I thank him. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. Paul didn't sit back and just condemn everyone else. No, he, he actually went on to just list his, his own version of that list that he had previously made, making the point his past didn't disqualify him. And I'll tell you that your past doesn't disqualify you either. God doesn't see you as you see you. When you repent of your sins and you place your faith in Jesus, he removes it as far as the east is from the west. And so if Paul could be saved by God, God can save you. If God can use Paul, God can use you. That's the truth. He says in verse 14, the grace, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ may display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, 
the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, man, Paul says, man, just, just let my life be an example to you. That you think you're too far away from God. You think you've done too much. You've wronged God too much. You think that you deserve the wrath of God. Well, you do, but trust in Jesus and he'll take the wrath of God on your behalf. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God can save you and God can use you. And so when we consider the purpose for the reason why Paul wrote, we see that, man, he, it comes from a place of love and deep care for people. That, man, I've been there. This is who I was. This is who I am. But for the grace of God. That's a pretty extreme statement to say, God came to save me, a sinner of whom I am the foremost. That's what he thought of himself. Man, maybe it was because he killed Christians for a living. I don't know, but that's pretty bad, okay? And so, so I don't know if you've done something worse than Paul, but man, he considered his past to be something that he, he just had so much regret over, but yet God saved him and called him and said, I want you to go and I want you to preach my gospel. I want your life to be an example to others, okay? And so the way that um, we love people well is uh, just like Paul, just proclaim the gospel to them. So this, this, is, this is who I am. This is what I've done. But here's how Jesus has saved me. That's some good application for us. And so as we close, let's just read the last, last um, couple verses. And the last point that, that, that I, would, I would point out is um, that not only was his purpose love here that we talked about for writing, that uh, he, he then encourages Timothy with provision, okay? And uh, the provision was this, prophecy, faith, and conscience. We see those three things. Verse 18, he says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Okay, so here, here's how, how Paul encourages Timothy. Obviously, previously in Timothy's life, people had spoken over him and encouraged him saying, man, Timothy, you're going to be used by God. And maybe, maybe this was a prophetic word that was given by the inspiration of God to, to someone to give to Timothy to say, man, Timothy, you're going to be used by God in a great way. Um, and God can, can use people in your life like that to encourage you and comfort you and uh, to just push you forward. And man, if you get those kind of words, remember them, let them encourage you, but also measure them against the word of God. Are they consistent with the, with the word of God? Or are they just trying to build you up and make you think that you're, you're really good, okay? They should humble you. They should make you think, man, God, God is with me. God's for me. God has a plan for me, okay? And I, I believe that that's what, what uh, Paul was referring to here, man. The prophecies previously made about you. And then he says that you may, he's, he's charging him again, that you may wage the good warfare. And that's where we got the title for this series, The Good Fight, because some of your translations say, man, that you might fight the good fight of faith or fight the good fight. And we'll see this, this repeated later on throughout this book. But again, he's saying, Timothy, remember, you're a soldier. You're a soldier for me. Fight the good fight of faith. How? Verse 19, 
He gives them two tools. And you may want to remember these when you go out this week trying to live for Jesus. He says, he says first of all, holding to faith and a good conscience. Holding to faith and a good conscience. Let's just stop there. Two tools that he was saying, man, Timothy, hold on to these. Grab a hold of these. They're going to protect you. They're going to encourage you when you are feeling like giving up and throwing it in. First of all, hold on to faith. Trust that God is in control. That, man, this, this, is, this is not your world. This is God's world. He reigns. He's, he's over it all. Man, continue to seek him. Let him guide you, okay? And then second, he says, hold to a good conscience. This is important because I don't know if you've ever been like, if people have ever spoken out against you and condemned you for what you believe, but man, doesn't it help if you have a good conscience when they attack you? And man, people have a lot of reason to, you know, may have a lot of reason to attack you, but man, don't, don't give them more reason to, okay? Hold the faith with a good conscience. Have a good conscience, okay? When you, when, when, when you know you need to apologize for something, apologize for it. When you, when you need to correct something in your life, follow that prompting, follow that, that inner voice that says, man, just let that go. Forgive that. You know, stop doing that. You know, get, get over that. Allow God to forgive you or confess that to someone. Hold the faith with a good conscience. In verse 20, then, actually, I think it, it starts, starts with the end of 19. This is the last line. He says, by rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. He points out two people, verse 20, among, the, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Again, he's, he's, he's warning, he's saying, man, if you follow this false teaching that's happening, it's like, it's like pulling up your anchor when there's a storm. It's, it's like saying, ah, forget it. I'll just go, you know? And you're headed for the rocks and you're, you're headed for a shipwreck in your life. And that is the warning that Paul gives to Timothy, man, hold fast to the anchor of Jesus Christ. Hold fast to him. Um, man, these, these people, Hymenaeus and Alexander, they let go of their, their anchor and their faith was shipwrecked. Don't allow the tides and the storms of culture to dictate where you go. Hold fast with the anchor of the word of God and with faith, with a good conscience, okay? Let me encourage you with that. Um, and let me pray for us that uh, we might, as we study this book, we might just continue to keep an open heart to uh, just, hey, what, what, what do I need to hear from the Holy Spirit right now? How do I need to change? How does our church need to change in alignment with what Paul's instructing us with? So as we close, let me do that. And, um, and then we're going to turn it over to the worship team to close our service out. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And God, we thank you that you gave Paul the inspiration to write this letter to Timothy. God, that as we read it, Get the, get the blessing of, of reading his mail. God, that uh, we can be encouraged. We can be exhorted to just uh, anchor ourselves in you, Jesus, in your truth, in the truth of your word, and in God, uh, your ways for your church. 
God, help us to align our life to it. And when the storms of life come, that, uh, that our, 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 our anchor would, would be in you, Jesus. God, uh, we just pray that um, over those that are, are throughout this week going to face some storms, some battles, whether it just be personally in their faith in you, Lord, because of things going on in their life, health struggles or financial struggles, or, or man, just, just people at school or work just constantly being difficult. Lord, whatever it is, God, God uh, temptations that they're facing, God, I pray that they're, they would place their anchor in you, that they'd open up your word to find truth, to find encouragement. And God, that the body of Christ would be able to surround them in their time of struggle. God, we pray that uh, you'd protect us and you'd give us courage to accept the charge to fight the good fight of faith. God, that um, your word would be held primarily as our, our foundation, as our only source of truth. God, we thank you that you've given it to us today. God, bless us as we go from this place. God, um, encourage us and um, just uh, create divine appointments for us this week to be witnesses of your goodness and also to witness to others of your gospel. Lord, we pray for those that may not know you. Pray, God, as they've heard the gospel today, Lord, they'd reach out to you as well. Lord, saying, Lord Jesus, would you save me a sinner? Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you, God, that you love them just as you love us and that this word is your word for us today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.